Psalm 41. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O oh Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this, know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. There are questions that friends have a way of asking that get our attention. A question that got my attention when I was in college was a very simple question. My mother asked me, after years of biochemistry and organic chemistry, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after college, she just sat down with me one day and said, Blake, are you happy? Years later, when I was in seminary, I, had a, um, I wanted to do missions, and I, uh, I didn't want to be a pastor. I did not want to lead a church. I wanted to do missions. Then I wanted to go and teach. And, um, and a good friend of mine, a psychologist in Dallas, uh, we were having lunch. He taught me how to eat sushi. I'd never had sushi until I, I met this man. His name was Ben Albritton. And Ben looked at me and he said to me, um, Blake, to teach, to be a professor, are you happy? And so I just want to come with King David and with the true David, King Jesus. And I just want to ask you the same question. How are you? Are you blessed? Are you happy? They've done a study since 1972, and it's answered, it's asked this question of people for over 50 years. Taken all together, how would you say things are these days? Would you say, A, very happy, B, pretty happy, or C, not too happy? And people said, very happy, three to one over against not too happy for almost 50 years until which year? 2021. And people who said 
A, I'm very happy, was 31%. And then it precipitously dropped over the last two years to 19%. And those who said they are not too happy remained at 13% for almost 50 years through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, t and uh, 2000s until the last couple of years. And that has risen to 24%. And about 50% of people said that they remain the same. The beginning of this psalm, we see the word blessed. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. And happiness is the core of Jesus' teaching. His Beatitudes is about blessed are those who, blankety blank, right? Blessed are those who, fill in the blank. And what is he asking? He says, deeply satisfied are those who, truly happy are those who, and most of us, when we think about happiness, we think about happiness as a result of something or some position in our life. Your, your uh, condition is a certain way. Your, you, you have obtained a certain something. But the Bible says that happiness is defined by the result of being able to be trained as disciples of the Lord Jesus to recognize God's presence in your midst. Happiness for a Christian means developing the skill to be able to recognize God's presence in your midst. And therefore, you are able to see how indeed he has provided for you in ways that sometimes are totally different from the ways we normally define happiness. And so just for a few minutes, what I want to do is I want to walk you into this psalm and I want to show you how it points us to Christ by showing you first the blessing of the merciful, the burden of the merciful, and the example of a true deacon. First, the blessing of the merciful. Look at verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now, happy is the one who considers the poor. Hebrew for considers refers to a, a deacon's role, which we're going to commission these men in just a minute. It means to thoughtfully and practically give consideration, thought, instruction for how to help the poor. And the poor in Scripture... Here, it probably refers to the material poor, but throughout Scripture, there's three different kinds of poverty. There's economic poverty or material poverty. There's the oppressed due to injustice, regardless of what their economic standing may be. And then there are the spiritual needy. So poor does not always mean material poor. It can mean either oppressed because of an injustice, or it could mean that you are spiritually desperate and needy. You're poor in spirit. You're hungry. You want. You want something more. There was a study uh, done for uh, Gen Zs, and it asked them, um, you know, what do you want out of life? And the majority of respondents said they wanted to be happy. And then the study went on to explain that social media tells them how to be happy and yet at the same time reminds them that they're not. <laughs> and the way that Gen Zers defined happy was by comparing themselves to their parents who probably will live more economically prosperous than they will on average. And they define happiness almost exclusively in terms of financial stability. A little surprising actually. I would have thought a bit, bit more communal, more, but they define it, the majority define it in terms of uh, financial uh, stability. The gospel, friends, tells us the same. It tells us how we are to be happy. 
But the gospel doesn't leave us like social media feeds to just compare our lives to what we can never be. It actually gives us the solution. And the solution is to see the finished work of Jesus. That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for us so that we, who in our poverty, due to sin, might become rich. And so notice what David, and undoubtedly what was true of Jesus, what characterizes the blessings of the merciful. First, the Lord says that he delivers them. Verse 1, that you're delivered. Verse 2, that you're protected. And verse 3, that you're sustained. What are the blessings of the merciful? That the Lord delivers you, the Lord protects you, and that the Lord sustains you. Those are the blessings of the merciful, and those are the blessings that Jesus himself claimed when he was walking on earth, living amidst the poverty of life. Jesus was protected, he was sustained, and he was delivered by his Father in heaven. But not only that, what about the burden of the merciful? Notice that the burden of the merciful is found in verse 4 down through verse 7. The burden of the merciful for us is that we are weighed down by our sin. We're merciful to others. We want to be able to help and care and nurture the poor, but we come face to face with our own need for grace. One of our burdens is the burden of confession. When St. Augustine was writing about this psalm, he said that the way to understand this psalm in light of Jesus is to imagine that parts of this psalm are spoken of by Jesus himself, and part of this psalm are owned and spoken of by his body, the church. And those two, the head and the body, are together. And when you read the Psalms, you think about what Jesus would have said, which is true of him, and then you come to verse 4. Jesus had no sin. He didn't need to confess his sin. And St. Augustine said, this is the church speaking, crying out. We are the ones confessing. And I mention that because as you read the Bible, you're reading the Bible as part of such a bigger narrative than your own life. You're part of the history of the church who has read verse 4 and said, yes, this is true of us as the visible body of Christ on the earth. Lord, be gracious to us, for I have sinned against you. Confession is one of our burdens. Not just confession, but also being reviled by others is one of our burdens. Verse 5, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words. His heart gathers iniquity. Later on, it says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus quoted that verse, didn't he? But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. In John chapter 13, we see the Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And do you remember what Jesus does? Remember, Judas betrays him. It's not long later that Peter denies him. And what does Jesus do? How does Jesus repay? How does Jesus repay his disciples? David, King David, enacts punitive justice for Israel. But Jesus, the true David, enacts atoning grace. And Jesus wraps himself in a towel. And he comes and he kneels before his disciples and he washes their feet. 
In verse 10, we have a picture of Jesus who is repaying us, not with what we deserve, but he's repaying us with his atoning grace of his sacrificial love for us. And then Jesus prays by this, I know that you delight in me. This, this is Jesus praying this. My enemy will not shout triumph over me, even though he goes to the cross for you. But you have upheld me because of my integrity. There is Jesus. And you have set me in your presence forever. And then at the end of the first book of Psalms, you see this familiar refrain that you see five times. Blessed be the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen, it concludes. And Augustine writes that Jesus, because he was rich, because that is what he is, but he became poor because that is what you were. His poverty is our wealth. His justice is his weakness. And his weakness covers for our strength. His foolishness is our wisdom. And his mortality is our immortality. Augustine writes in the 5th century, pay, pay close attention, O church, to what this poor man is and do not measure him by the poverty of others. He who was made poor came to fill the poor. So open wide your faith and embrace this poor man, lest you remain a poor person yourself. When I was asked those several times in my life by dear friends, by my mother and other dear friends, are you happy? It eventually led me into a place to be able to use gifts to minister and encourage and find myself. The last place I thought I would be, actually, is in the pastorate. And I don't know about you, but I just want to set before you Jesus in this psalm and invite you to dine with him and to let him ask you that same question, are you happy in me? Do you know that I left my Father's throne above, Jesus would say to you. So free and so infinite was my grace that I emptied myself of all but love and I bled for you as a member of Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, Jesus would say to you. Now rise, go forth, and follow me. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.